We've been talking about consumerism in healthcare for a long time. But without great tools that are easy to use, our clients can't make great decisions. And those tools are just now becoming available. What specific information do your clients need, and how do they need it presented to them? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. It's hard to imagine that it was almost back in 2000 that we started talking about consumerism in healthcare. And we've made a lot of right turns, but we've also made a lot of wrong turns during that time. We thought for a while that if we just equipped people with a high deductible health plan and a spending account, that they'd figure it out, which was probably rather foolish on our part because there's so much complexity and so much data that you need to make a great decision that without that data being available, which is what came next, and without a way to access it easily in a way that makes sense for consumers, which is just starting to happen, consumerism really, really can't happen. And if you talk about things that are on the cutting edge, our guest today is right there. His company is Amino, and his name is David Vivero, and he is the CEO. And they are bringing all of those things together. And we thought, what better person than David to have on the podcast to talk about where the market's going, and how we get to real consumerism. And so with that, welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's our pleasure. So as I said in the open, you know, we took consumers, we gave them a high deductible plan and a healthcare spending account, and we thought they'd figure it out. What happened? Well, I mean, a bunch of things didn't happen, which I think is the key observation we had, which is that we did not do enough research into just how big a member or user experience challenge the U.S. healthcare system is. And so you can imagine, I mean, just pick any other human experience, especially in the economy, you know, things as simple as buying a movie ticket or buying a train ticket had been developed over many, many years, understanding how do I put stuff on a board? How do I properly price things? How do I give people the right amount of choice, but not too much choice? Right, because it meant you can imagine if you had a movie starting every uh, 3.4 minutes, or you had uh, people actually accessing the raw air traffic control logs to try and figure out how to purchase a flight, you'd probably find a bunch of disgruntled people. There's a certain amount of complexity that we are all willing to tolerate in our lives, and usually we we kind of reserve that for whatever our profession is. And it just wasn't enough for us to change the incentives in healthcare. We also had to change the interface to healthcare. And that unfortunately took way too long for people to realize. 
I think it was probably one of the benefits in, you know, in what we've done with Amino of being a second mover, if you will, of looking at the first few years of these developments and frankly, a lot of observations from researchers and public policy people about how transparency, frankly, doesn't work on its own in its first iteration. So, you know, I think that we just didn't really understand the nature of the new challenges that would be created once you rewrote the rules. Well, and once we started giving folks data, of course, the first thing they did was they raced to the bottom for price. And that's not always a good thing. You've got to balance price and quality. Where do those data sets come from? How do you clean them? How do you integrate them? And it seems to me that it would be an enormous job. Well, you know, I think everyone gets maybe more credit than they deserve for just making that statement. Hey, you know, we need price and quality because it all sounds so simple when you say it that way. And it essentially is a logical and I would say just it's an intuitive approach to what any market should be. I want I want to get more for my money. I want to invest in something and feel like for whatever that was, for the time I put in, for the cash I spent, for the patience that I had, that I get rewarded for it. So I, I don't think there's anything that's unusual in people asking for that. What I think has been the big debate is how do you actually get access to information that allows you to do this? And that's one way that, frankly, the industry has fought for many years. The second is, let's assume just for a minute that you get the information that you need in order to infer things about the quality of a surgical experience or the cost of getting a particular procedure. How do you translate that in a way that drives the type of behavior you're looking for from people, from ordinary people, from, from moms and from sons and from, you know, kids looking out for their siblings. Like, you know, we're all kind of making decisions about, you know, what we eat, where we go get care, what, you know, types of health plans we're putting our families on. And we're busy. And we don't necessarily have the numeracy and, and really distinct literacy for healthcare related issues that you'd need in order to make these decisions. So, all right, you need to get the data super hard. People are fighting you on that. Second, you had to make it intelligent and, you know, intelligible, I should say. And then the third piece that's really important is you have to be able to make this information available in the context in which people need it. What some products get the benefit of, you know, whether it is booking a restaurant reservation or, um, you know, maybe buying a random product on Amazon is that you just got these persistent kind of low intensity, high frequency needs. You get so much repetition. Healthcare is not like that at all. So you have to also make sure that whenever that moment happens in their lives, that this information that's powering this recommendation in this product is in front of that person at that time. So if you multiply the level of difficulty by those three different parts of the layer, and there's probably many sub layers that we could spend a lot more time on if this were a you know two day long podcast, but the, just those three layers themselves presented challenges. So to pick each one, yes, getting the data is really really hard to do cost and quality because you know quality is something that is difficult to assess unless you do a fair amount of rigorous work that includes risk adjustment. So, you know, taking into account what a physician is very likely to say, which is that, you know, my patients are sicker or older or more complicated. And so, you know, cut me a little bit of a break here for 
not having the same outcomes as the person across the street who only takes the young, healthy, simple cases. You know, in order to do that, you need to have data that follows people over time that's rich enough about those people to be able to isolate the sick patients from the not-so-sick patients and try to measure apples to apples across providers, what they would do. And then that second layer then comes in. It's like, oh gosh, now you've got this data that you've got, you know, follows patients. It's rich enough for you to see the underlying experience of patients. Now you're asking yourself, what measure could I possibly put together to persuade a woman in her 60s who's very stressed out about her sister's Parkinson's and is just trying to help her out, has been pulled into this situation? What information could I publish for her that meets her where she is on this issue intellectually, on this issue emotionally, and give her the right amount of context so that she feels confident making a decision, but not so much that she gets so frustrated that she gives up? And that she just trusts whatever the recommendation is or whoever's on the billboard at their airport to send her sister to. And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. So, is, I mean, is that the consideration in building the user interface or are there any analogs that are out there or did you and others have to start from scratch and, and take those factors into account? Well, I mean, to some extent, there's always analogs, right? We have to learn from the work that's been done before us, you know, just in order to help people in enough time, right? Like, it's just so difficult for us to start from first principles on this, although in some ways you do have to, you know, just to pick one anecdote from our experience building Amino, just the idea of giving people a sense for quality really to us meant asking ourselves, do people really care about the difference in quality between, uh, just to pick a, a number between zero and 100, a 72 and a 70. Well, I don't know if that's an actionable difference. And boy, did we make an assumption by going with a zero to 100 scale, right? Because people have their own perspectives about what is good and bad on a zero to 100 scale. You can make any measure, you know, land where actually, you know, uh, on the curve, you know, 70 is good. You could go with a credit score right? And rate someone on a scale of zero to 800. And depending, frankly, on that person's credit score, they may have a point of view on what's a good score. So you have to be able to learn from the previous frameworks. But oftentimes what they also teach you is what frameworks to try to avoid so you don't slip people into a set of expectations that might unfairly bias the way they think about the data, right? So if we did a credit score type model, and everyone was between 700 and and 800. Well, if that person has a credit score of 640, maybe the the 700 person looks pretty good. So we have to learn from the models before us. But we 
also have to ask basic questions. And to us, the idea was people don't want to be experts in this. The best thing that we inferred from spending enough time with consumers is no matter what you put together for them, make it easy. Make it so that you help them make the decision. You don't actually try to make them educated in the underlying rationale. So our view at Amino, and I think it's starting to be more pervasive, is that, hey, let's let's help people get to the top tier. Let's help people avoid the bottom tier. If you just had half the people that go to the least experienced, least safe providers out in the world, and you nudge them toward going to the top tier, you'll have massive impact, far more impact than, for example, you know, optimizing the B minus providers and getting, you know, patients instead to choose, say, a B. So I think to answer your question, David, it's 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 a mixture of trying to avoid ordinary conventions that you may not realize people bring their own biases into and ask fundamental questions about what's the role of this quality measure. Well, it's to drive a good decision. And how can you measure that? Well, what if we just uplift people out of choosing those bottom providers into even the top half of the community, you've already done a service. And then you just iterate from there. We should not be focused on trying to get those those little incremental numbers right. We should be trying as much as we can to balance high quality measurement of variation, but just chunky enough concepts that people can make easy decisions, yes or no, you know, good or bad. So, you know, you look at Amazon and they use Harvey balls and they've got five of them. I mean, it's pretty easy to tell if you're one to five, but is this part of a companion set of challenges that comes along with educating consumers to understand that these data are maybe more directional rather than being absolute? Yeah. I mean, I think to some extent, you know, we have this appetite for transparency because it's right, because it feels criminal to have such a high impact on people's lives and yet not give them access to any information. And so our gut tells us we want all of the information. We want all the transparency. And the reality is that I think the answer is somewhere in between. All the information and all the transparency is probably going to be really difficult to make sense of for ordinary people and probably sets the bar really, really high on what's acceptable from providers and payers and states and the federal government to provide. And so, yeah, I think this is a decision that you can't separate from the um, action you're wanting a consumer to take, which is we just want them to choose the higher value provider. We just want them to be aware of that difference and confidently step forward, choosing a, a doctor or a hospital or a surgeon that that is going to meet their needs without taking undue risk and without getting overly paid in a way that's expensive to all of us paying that insurance premium. And you don't have to actually see all the data or see every underlying metric in order to have that be the case. You need to have enough exposed that motivates that action. And that's always what we're trying to optimize for in building products. In addition to cost and quality, what other kinds of services did you find that consumers appreciate or even require be bundled along with those two things? Well, you know, as much as we gloat about the amount of choice that's available inside of the U.S. healthcare system, we run into two problems in the U.S. healthcare system, I find, in looking at our customers in, in, in a typical PPO network. So just to make an assumption. Number one is sometimes that choice is incredibly bewildering. So creating ways to help organize their choices. This kind of speaks to what I said earlier about really highly nuanced metrics, maybe a little bit too much. And the second is that even though you see all these providers on a list 
on a page, they're not all that accessible. Some are not taking new patients. Some are, you know, referral only. Some, you know, operate with a care team that's going to be out of network given the, you know, hospital that they work at. So there's a lot of these kind of underlying issues that people have, you know, have asked us questions about. And that's how we've incorporated those into our product. So, you know, for example, finding out which providers are taking on new patients is a huge one, not only in, for example, primary care, which you'd expect is, is going to be, you know, chief among them, but also in things like among psychologists. I mean, getting support for depression or anxiety or bipolar in the U.S. healthcare system is a mess. And a big part of that is not around quality per se, although I would love to have views of quality on that. It's purely around this very basic idea of who accepts my insurance? Are they available to take new patients? Are they convenient to access? So we try always to not just be a quality and cost almanac, but to answer the basic consumer questions that motivate people to use the product. Because at the end of the day, you know, if we can solve them, solve for them that issue of finding a high quality, low cost primary care doctor, that's great for everyone. But unless they have a reason to come into the product, then it, none of that took place. And the reason people use Amino is not necessarily because of the detail of our quality measures, although there are a lot of details to the quality measures. It's because they know as a busy parent that they can in three taps search book and possibly pay for their care. And that convenience really drives them to choose using Amino versus picking up the phone or going with whatever doctor they find on the internet. So access and also making frameworks that guide decision-making around some of those things, those stand out to us as additions to you know quality and cost. So we've got just a couple, three minutes left. And, and I want to ask what are really two questions, but I think they kind of go together. The first part is, how do you drive engagement? And once you've driven engagement, if I'm an employer and I'm putting this benefit in for my employees, how do I gauge ROI? Two very important questions, both related. Uh, if no one uses it, you don't get ROI in any product, um, let alone ours. We drive engagement a couple ways, which I think are quite highly differentiated. One is we have built a product that was trained on tens of millions of consumers who used it. And the interface, the experience, the workflows and communication, the language that we've chosen, the value proposition, all of these are a package that is far more enticing than what has historically been presented to consumers as, you know, navigation, transparency, a number of other things. You know, we built a consumer grade marketplace and the product itself is, it just delivers that type of engagement, right? So, you know, half of all eligibles on Amino are making use of the product. They are searching for care at incredibly high rates, such that we believe that half of the new provider discovery that's happening inside of a health plan is going through Amino. You know, not, you know, let's say you insure 5,000 people, David, you know, not all 5,000, thankfully, are sick or injured or need a doctor every month. But, you know, of those folks that do, um, we are capturing so, so, so many of that interest. And a big reason for that is, You've got people who use our product, even just to book an appointment with their existing physician. We are a better way, not just to discover new care, whereas really that, that's an opportunity for us to create ROI, but also to just save a couple minutes in your day. And so that drives a really nice recurring engagement loop that we see you know, transpire for all of our, our customers. And then ROI is, 
is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about because that's why people not only buy our product, but stay with us. And the ROI is a very simple calculation for us. And this is something that I think that more of the industry is hungry for, which is let's not infer, let's not expect, let's not associate and predict. Prove it to me. Show me the decisions that were made in this product. And are they better decisions than the average person? And are they better decisions than my people tended to make? And the truth is yes, because when people use Amino, we know the relative quality and cost of the providers they're choosing. And we're actually helping to put them in those doctor's waiting rooms and getting them the care that they need. And we're able to compare where people selected care using Amino versus those folks who didn't where they went. And we can calculate that difference. So many other folks will say, hey, you know, uh, uh, 10% of your population went to these safe doctors. Well, you know, in any population, if you play a game of roulette, you know, some people are going to land on black. But the idea of saying we are actually better than that average, better than that median inside of the local population, and it's provable because we're actually booking those appointments for those people, that's really where we focus our ROI, which is to take the inference out of it, focus entirely on direct promises that we make and keep. And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. David Vivero, CEO of Amino. David, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the audience. We hope you'll come back. Thank you, David. Appreciate the opportunity. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.